0: Steve Lance, your host of the Capitol Report on NTD News. If you have not done so yet, please hit that subscribe button to stay up to date with all of the latest news coming out of the nation's Capitol and beyond. Virginia and Maryland governors are calling on U.S. Attorney General Merrick Garland to take action and enforce the law outside the homes of Supreme Court justices. Governors Glenn Youngkin and Larry Hogan penned a letter reminding the Attorney General that picketing and parading outside the homes of justices with the intent to influence their decisions is against the law. The letter asks the Department of Justice to provide federal resources to safeguard the justices. The DOJ replied with a statement saying that the Attorney General continues to be briefed on the matter and has directed the U.S. Marshals Service to provide support to the Marshal of the Supreme Court and the court's police. The protests in front of the Supreme Court justices' homes are entering into criminal territory. Pro-abortion activists are attempting to sway the justices' opinions. We thought it would be a good idea to speak with ranking member of the House Judiciary Committee, Jim Jordan. Congressman Jim Jordan, thank you so much for joining us on the Capitol Report. Good to be with you. Congressman, when it comes to the protests we're seeing out front of the Supreme Court justices' homes, does this cross the line of exercising our basic First Amendment rights and why or why not?
1: Well, it's a direct violation of the law. 18 U.S.C. 1507 says you're not supposed to be going to the residence of a of a, of a court uh, of a judge of a justice, trying to influence and intimidate, which is exactly what they're trying to do. So, yeah, I think this is wrong. Well, look, I'm all for the First Amendment. I wish the Democrat Party would actually believe what they used to believe, and that is embrace the First Amendment, embrace free speech. Uh, so we we that we want is we want a robust First Amendment. But what's happening here is a direct violation of the law, and it's meant to influence. It's meant to intimidate uh, the Supreme Court justices because of the draft opinion that was leaked uh, 10 days ago.
0: Congressman, we used to hear a lot about uh, dog whistles when former President Trump was in office. Um, Are some of the Democrats emboldening these uh, illegal protests from your perspective?
1: Well, it's a pattern. I mean, think about the history. It was 13 months ago that the chairman of the Judiciary Committee introduced legislation to pack the court to add not one, not two, not three, but four associate justices to the United States Supreme Court. And they wanted four because they want to put four liberals on and have a 7-6 majority. That is truly packing the court. So they've got legislation that's already been introduced. Two weeks ago, they had a hearing in the Judiciary Committee where they went after Justice Thomas. A week ago, we had the leak. Today they're marking up bill. We, I just came from a markup, and they're marking up legislation where uh, it, would, it would go after the court and put different kind of ethical requirements and standards, all again trying to intimidate the court and next week they're having a hearing on the very subject matter the court is deliberating, the pro-life issue that is the Dobbs case in, in, in Mississippi. And while we're speaking, while this is all going on, you have protesters at the homes of justices on the United States Supreme Court. So it is all meant to intimidate, to influence, to get the outcome they want. And that is not how our system is set up. Separate and equal branches of government, the rule of law, respect for the court, the independence of the court is how our country is supposed to work, not the way the Democrats are trying to do things.
0: I just want to switch gears here a little bit and ask you about inflation. Uh, The numbers kicked down a little bit uh, and and the markets reacted uh, in a positive way and then then negative um, after a knee-jerk reaction. Is there a short-term solution uh, to turn things around or have we passed the Rubicon?
1: Well, I think that with, with the spending and the decisions that this administration has, met, uh, has, has uh, uh, implemented relative to energy, I mean, energy drives so much of this. When you drive up the cost of gasoline, when you drive up the cost of energy, that's going to drive up every other good uh, because you have to transport things. You have to move things. And it seems to be something that this administration doesn't understand. And even if they did understand it, the left that now controls the Democrat Party wouldn't let Joe Biden do the right thing, which would be to open up the Keystone Pipeline, open up ANWR, allow more drilling and federal leases to happen on, on, on federal land. They're not going to do that because the left won't let him, even if he wanted to. So, um, look, it was, it's, it's good news that inflation may be ticked down a little bit, but it's way too high. It's a 40-year high, and every family is experiencing it. And that is why, Steve, 67% of, uh, of our fellow citizens think the country's on the wrong track. I mean, there's a reason they think that. In fact, I've said many times that, you know, 67 percent thinks who are the 33 who think it's on the right track, for goodness sake. So um, uh, let's hope it gets better. But I don't see how it can with the policies and the positions that uh, the Biden administration has embraced.
0: That leads me to my last question for you, Congressman. Uh, you represent Ohio's fourth district. Ohio's a very good representation of Main Street America. What is the temperature of the average constituent in your district when it comes to the economy?
1: They can't believe it got this bad this fast. And we had a, she was an older lady. This is a few months ago, but I was doing a little town hall meeting in a small group. And she kind of waited near the end. She was sitting there in the, in the front. And I remember looking up at me. And literally, she, her eyes started to kind of get glassy. And she said, I never thought it could get this bad this quick. The American people have common sense and and they see what the left that controls the Democrat Party, they see what they have done. Intentionally open up at our border, giving us record crime levels in every urban area because they're defunding the police and not putting bad guys away like like, like they should. Uh, Record levels of inflation, $4.40 average gasoline price in most of the country, $6 in California. Not to mention what they're doing to our First Amendment liberties, the, the attack on speech, the disinformation governance board, and of course, the foreign policy issue are, are serious and, and, and uh, concerning as well. So, uh, yeah, they, they, they never, the, the American people have common sense, Steve, and they never thought it could get this bad this fast, this quickly. But uh, it has, and I think that's why in November there's going to be a big change in the midterm elections.
0: Congressman Jim Jordan, thank you. Thank you, Steve. The U.S. is facing an unprecedented shortage of baby formula, triggering panic nationwide. A leading baby formula maker says that it could take at least two months to restock stores. Several months ago, the largest national supplier of baby formula Abbott Laboratories was forced to close down its plant in Sturgis, Michigan. It's because the FDA said the facility was unsanitary. Abbott Labs issued a voluntary recall of its products after complaints that some babies had become sick and two even died. Abbott released a statement yesterday saying that subject to FDA approval, the baby formula making facility can restart within two weeks. Chair of the House Republican Conference, Elise Stefanik, held a press conference earlier with over 15 of her colleagues on Capitol Hill. They're highlighting the growing crisis of baby formula shortages throughout the country. We had a chance to catch up with her afterwards to find out how this could happen in the United States of America.
2: Because this is Joe Biden's failed leadership, so this goes back to months ago, and my office has been a real leader on this issue. There was the recall of formula being manufactured and produced in Sturgis, Michigan. The FDA had absolutely no plan how to address that aspect of the supply chain crisis, but it even goes back earlier than that uh, as a result of just the labor shortage in this country, the lack of accessing basic materials that are part of the manufacturing process. Uh, but what's really struck me is the sheer incompetence of Joe Biden and House Democrats, and frankly, failure to address any aspect of this. Uh, I wrote a letter in February reaching out to the FDA demanding, what is your plan? What is your plan, not only given the recall uh, of formula being produced in Sturgis, Michigan, but what's your plan moving forward? We got no substantive response. Uh, Earlier this week, Ashley Hinson and I, she's a newly elected woman member, a mom of two from Iowa, reached out to the FDA again saying, again, what is your immediate plan? No action. What did we hear from the White House yesterday? We heard absolute laughter, which is laughing in the face of moms and dads across this country. I'm a mom of my nine-month-old Sam. He's formula-fed, and I will tell you, there are grandmothers across this country who every morning check to make sure Sam has enough formula, and we are very cognizant of the challenges this creates, creates for families, particularly in rural communities like mine.
0: There are reports that the Biden administration is sending baby formula down to the the border to support these illegal immigrants that are being detained down there. What's to make of that? And should this highlight the crisis on the border even further?
2: This is an example of the America last position of this administration. They're doing everything they can to put American families absolutely last. They're prioritizing illegal immigrants, illegal families over American babies. I went down to the border just weeks ago. I saw the shelves of formula down there, and it's a humanitarian crisis at the border, there is nothing compassionate about an open border, that's why it's important for us to secure the borders, but the fact that American mothers and fathers are desperately searching for formula, and yet you have taxpayer-funded formula going down to the southern border, that's un-American.
0: As mask mandates are lifted and vaccine restrictions ease, there are still some areas that are requiring pandemic-related measures. We sat down with Dr. Robert Malone, creator of the mRNA vaccine technology, earlier to get some perspective. Dr. Robert Malone, thank you so much for joining us on the Capitol Report. Thank you, Steve, it's my pleasure and honor to be here with you, thank you. Doctor, I think a lot of Americans sense that they may have been sent uh, mixed messages throughout the stage, you know, all stages of the pandemic really, uh, from public health officials. From your perspective, what stage
3: are we in now? So uh, it's my opinion and that of my colleagues, the Global COVID Summit International Alliance of Physicians and Medical Scientists, that we're through the acute phase. Um, This is no longer a global health crisis or even a national health crisis. Yes, we have some uptick in infections and disease caused by Omicron. The strange thing about that is the preponderance of those infections and disease are in people that are previously vaccinated. Um, uh, something that the press doesn't generally cover, uh, but is the case worldwide. Uh, there's many, many national governments that are now reporting this. And I think APEC Times, to its credit, has recently run a piece covering that. I believe Zach uh, Stiber, your reporter, has covered that topic, um, which I'm grateful for. Uh, so. Uh, it was fascinating that Dr. Fauci acknowledged that we're through this uh, acute phase and then walked it back the following day. Uh, I could speculate about the politics. Uh, Dr. Fauci doesn't brief me on a regular basis, um, but uh, it's our opinion that we're through that. The one caveat that has many people worried right now and was discussed at length in a recent interview with Del Bigtree is, is that of Gert van den Boscha who continues to warn us, as he has all the way through the outbreak, that uh, the repeated insistence on global vaccination with these leaky, imperfect, spike-based vaccines has created significant risk for emergence, not only of more highly infectious virus, which we have seen, but also the emergence of a more pathogenic version of the virus. And uh, so We're all cautious, cautiously hopeful. At present, it looks like we're through it, but that isn't to say that there aren't risks. We've heard uh, from the administration uh, more dark mutterings about the potential for a surge next fall. That's, That's kind of a fascinating piece Position to take on multiple levels. You know, there's the obvious politics of the upcoming election, but let's park that for a minute. The real reason why you see these surges of infectious disease, particularly respiratory infectious disease, particularly respiratory RNA infectious disease, RNA virus infectious disease in the fall and winter, really has to do with the cycle of the Sun. I can tell you as an as a expert in this field for many years, it was a conundrum to me why you saw these seasonal variations that are so reproducible and switch northern and southern hemisphere. The reason is, you know, it's, it's one of those that hits you in the face when you finally, you recognize it. It's vitamin D levels and that's a, a fascinating story in and of itself. Is the discovery of the importance of vitamin D levels and getting your vitamin D up above 50 nanograms per mil. And how that there's virtually no deaths in anyone that is otherwise you know, reasonably healthy, doesn't have some pre existing major condition or bullet to the head um, uh, at the time of death. Uh, virtually no deaths attributable to COVID. In people who have adequate levels of vitamin D. When the sun, when the earth moves and the angle of the sun changes, our vitamin D levels drop because we're so dependent on sun exposure for vitamin D. The the supplementation that we get in our milk is just to protect us from rickets. Um, And if the White House was really concerned about mitigating the risks for a coronavirus surge this fall, what you'd expect them to do if that was their primary driver is to make a major campaign, which I would strongly support and so would my colleagues, a major campaign to get Americans tested for their vitamin D levels. It's a cheap test and make sure that they all have levels above 50 nanograms per ml. Um, so that's, that's uh, kind of the backstory there is uh, one of them is their uh, once again speculating about these dark futures as they did last winter, as you recall, and uh, saying that we may have another surge this fall coming up. and If that's really the case, then the easiest solution is not yet another genetic vaccine or mode doses of a genetic vaccine, but hey, let's get everybody's vitamin D levels up. It's pennies, it's cheap, it's off patent. Uh, I'm sorry, pharma doesn't make any money at it, but uh, that that's that's where we see it. <laughs> to my next question, what do you think that should be done on top of that,
0: uh, if anything, uh, when we start to see if we see upticks in certain regions throughout
3: the country? So, the, the, what, it, if you're, what we're observing is that, uh, as had been predicted by myself and many others last winter, is that this mucosal infection with Omicron is resulting in people generating a broad, long-lasting mucosal immune response that is highly protective. Uh, The virus acted like a transmissible mucosal vaccine and there's a good chance that as we see um, some modest surge, what we're essentially seeing is boosting by this naturally circulating virus. Here's the problem. More and more the data are demonstrating that those that are getting reinfected, getting disease and dying, are the multiply vaccinated. I'm increasingly convinced by the data, as are many of my colleagues, that the efforts to push this technology, as opposed to more traditional vaccines, is damaging people's immune systems, and that may well be the driver behind this unknown causative relationship. We don't know why we're seeing this surge in infections, disease, and death in the vaccinated population. There seems to be a dose-dependent response. The more doses of this product, I hesitate to call it a vaccine. The more doses of this product one receives, a patient receives, the higher the probability that they become infected and have significant disease or and or death. It's paradoxical. It's completely upside down from what we've been told by the government. And the the, I don't want to use big words, pathogenesis, the medical cause for this is not clear. There's many different potential explanations and it absolutely needs to be investigated, but the one that's most worrisome is that there are multiple lines of evidence that this particular product, particularly the RNA based product, has components and characteristics that are damaging particularly people's T cells. And We see evidence of that in a number of different ways. We can do laboratory tests to look at fancy T cell markers and toll-like receptors, and we can go down that rabbit hole. Um, We can see it functionally. These people are, with the vaccine, are having reactivation of what we call latent DNA viruses. Most people know this as shingles. Shingles is one form of a latent DNA virus that was in their body that was being controlled by T cells, but is now being reactivated in many people that have received the vaccines. The one that's more common, that's a little more hidden because it doesn't cause lesions on your skin and and severe pain is Epstein-Barr virus. Many people that are presenting with this chronic malaise and symptom set that we call the post-vaccination syndrome have evidence of reactivation of Epstein-Barr virus in their body. So why does that matter? Because it's evidence that the T cell fraction of your body's immune system is somehow being subtly compromised by the multiple vaccine doses and that could explain part of why people seem to be more susceptible to disease and potentially death with reinfection if they have received multiple doses and it would be consistent with the data that show that the more doses you get, the higher your risk. Now underlying that is the scary thing and I really don't want to, my objective is not to scare your audience, absolutely not, but um, there are now more and more physicians coming out uh, uh, observing Unusual cancers, unusually aggressive cancers, cancers occurring unusually early. Um, You had a recent piece here in the Epoch Times, I think it was a thought leader piece, where you interviewed my colleague Ryan Cole, who's been at the forefront of this, a highly trained pathologist, and it's important to recognize that this is what pathologists are supposed to do is signal detection and early warning. That's what they're trained to do. They serve as the quality control for the whole medical system. So Ryan's just doing his job. He's not trying to be an alarmist or overthrow the presidency. He's just doing his job saying, you know, his, his, his job is not to get Tony Fauci fired. That's not where he's coming from. He's just observing what he's seeing under the microscope and reporting it. And now more and more docs that are in the oncology space are saying that. How is that related, you might ask? Again, cancers occur in all of us, all the time, at low levels, and they're suppressed by our T cells largely. So if we're having T cell damage, what you would predict is that you might see an uptick in the incidence of cancers. It doesn't mean everybody's gonna get cancer that's had a vaccine. It doesn't mean everybody's gonna die in three years. Absolutely not. You know, there are those alarmists who say these things that get everybody stirred up, but um, there is this up- uptick being observed, and when you see all of these points lining up, then you got to say that there's there's something th- that really needs to be investigated. My my last question for
0: you: Is there a breaking point or a tipping point with the data that you mentioned uh, of those who've had multiple doses being more susceptible to disease and potentially dying? Where public health officials have to confront this?
3: That's a great question. I'm shocked, frankly, that they haven't already. Um, I'm amazed. uh, I have that that in in an objective public health world, uh, driven by the parameters that I was taught that I was brought up with. I've seen again and again and again, the the norms that I had been Uh, trained in and come to expect from the public health bureaucracy have um, not been respected, I'll say in the most gentle way I can, uh, throughout these last couple of years and that's really, really hard to understand. It's something that has upset me to the point that I'm motivated to speak out and risk my career and do what I've been doing because what I'm seeing is those norms, whether it's the bioethics, whether it's transparency in data, which uh, you know we now have the GEAO report. We don't have to just rely on the New York Times to tell us that the CDC has been withholding data and has been politicized. I, I The position of myself and my fellow 17,000 physicians at the global um, uh, COVID summit group, which is this international alliance of physicians and medical scientists for which I serve as president. So I'm president with an organization of 17,000 docs. We're all alarmed um, and we feel compelled despite the consequences uh, with the propaganda censorship and everything else that's happened, we still feel compelled to speak out and say this is not right. Um, What's going on here is not consistent with with international norms and, and national policy, historically, and seems to reflect a public health enterprise that has become more and more and more weaponized for political purposes, to an end that is hard. It is hard to come to grips with the various alternative hypotheses about why you would see these types of behaviors. Um, who to you know? Who gains from something like this? Um, who's, who's benefiting from policies that are damaging the American public? And there's the very simple explanation that many people find very easy and compelling to reach to, which is basically the effects of the huge, huge amount of profit and influence that, has, that the pharmaceutical industry has accrued. And is making um, off of these specific products. It's hard, it, for me, it's hard to, to believe that this profound corruption of our, our system can be explained just with that. Um, and the harmonization across press and technology. And uh, the various uh, corporations that are owned by these very large investment groups, as as just being about the profit that Pfizer makes, it's a big profit, but it's not that big, Uh, and that's why many of us continue to um, really uh, reach for uh, broader political, geopolitical. And uh, integrated financial community uh, explanations uh, that um, th- to try to comprehend how and why this could all be managed in this globally coordinated fashion, um, in in a way that is compromising uh, medical norms that have been the the foundation. Of modern medicine, I, I I don't understand it. My colleagues don't understand it, and um, and yet it persists. And I I was speaking to a, a, an American senator recently, who I consider a close colleague. So I'm not going to dox him. Um, but we were talking about this, uh, and I I made the point that at this at this stage, I don't see how the American government and the World Health Organization could possibly uh, politically acknowledge the damage that's been done and the mistakes that have been made. I, I don't see how they, can, they could do that because it would shake um, the foundations of public health and even the foundations of the United States government to the, to the roots. And, and I think that they're now in a position where they have to double down on the denial cover-up with the propaganda and the censorship, and that's what we're seeing. Is I, I'm stunned by the things that I hear from uh, Barack Obama, um, from the sec- White House press secretary, um, directly from the White House uh, endorsing censorship, endorsing this propaganda in rationalizing it. It seems so contrary to the fundamentals of American representative democracy and the Bill of Rights. Uh, It it seems that we're in something that's much broader than just the public health response to this virus. But I'm just a doc.